Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to College First Gen, our podcast where we get together over some coffee to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first generation student before, during, and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about being first gens, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I'm Mijin Han, one of the co hosts. A first generation college student myself has also experienced the roller coaster of this journey. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of Asian and Pacific Islander first gens and the model minority myth. Model minority myth is a belief that members of the AAPI community achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the average population, thus serving as a reference to other groups. The success is typically measured relatively by educational attainment, representation, managerial and professional occupations, and more. We will begin the episode with high school student Steph, and next we will talk to Donna, who is currently in college. We will wrap up our conversation with a post-college student, Casey. As an AAPI first-gen myself who has experienced the implications of the model minority myth firsthand, I particularly enjoyed having these conversations with our guests about their own understanding of the term and what their experiences have been like. Let's get started. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, so first, could you maybe introduce yourself to the audience a little bit? My name is Stephanie Alkanga. I am 17 years old. I am currently a junior at Andrew High School. I am Filipina. I am proud to be Filipina. And I was actually not born here. I was born in the Philippines and I lived there until I was 14 years old. And my parents and you know, my whole family, we all immigrated. 2018, I would say. And it took about 20 years for our papers to be finalized so that we could move here. So it's my family, my um, cousins and all that. And I do have an aunt here, like living already in the in the United States. So that's where I am staying with. Cool. It sounds like you really went through this whole immigration journey with your family. How was that like for you? Well, I really didn't actually know that they had plans to like immigrate to the United States. I remember I was in seventh grade, then I went back home and they were like, Steph, our papers are like finally approved for us to start the immigration process. And I'm like, what? Where did that even come from? And my mom was like, well, I applied like way before you were born and I got denied twice. Then I applied for a third time and it took many, many years for that to actually get started. So then I'm like, okay, that's weird, but I'll roll along with it. So it took about uh, a year two more years for the whole thing to be done. We went through some, we went through medical examinations. Then we had to file a ton of paperwork for a background and we had an interview for a visa. And, you know, it was a very stressful time, I think, just because there's so many things going on, so much paper like to be filled out. And you don't really know when it comes to like this immigration thing because you can spend all that hard work, all that money, but it could just result into nothing. So there's like a ton of doubt. Maybe I'd even say paranoia for my parents just because there's this one thing that they really want to do, but like this 
no assurance that that thing would actually happen. I can relate to that story a lot as a first-generation immigrant myself. I think working with the U.S. immigration arm of the government, USCIS, isn't the shortest and smoothest process. But it's tremendous that you were able to make that move when you were 14 and currently you go to high school in the United States. How was that transition for you? It was very hard for me, I think. When I moved here, I don't think it really set in for me that I'm actually away from home, that I have this new life that I have to build from the ground. I'm like in square 10 back in the Philippines, and now I'm back to square one here. And I could tell that like I'm different, and it feels like weird for me. Back then, I had like a really thick Filipino accent. Whenever I talk to someone, they're always like so taken aback when I start to speak because they're like, oh, wait, you don't sound like us. So then I feel awkward because then I feel like I have to hide that from the people I'm talking to. And then, you know, I had like no friends. We moved here like April. So school was already in session and I can't like attend school so late. So I was like in summer vacation for like five months. And I had no friends at all. Literally talked to no one my age. All I talked to were my my family, my grandparents mostly, and like my sister who was seven years younger than me. Sure, I guess it's nice to spend time with family, but like at the same time, I don't really connect to them. And then it wasn't until like June until I met someone who's kind of my age. She was like two years younger than me. And I think that's when I started to be like, wait, this whole America thing could be fun. I just need to like get into it. That is a tremendous journey. And thank you for sharing that with us, especially on the topic about accents. I can relate to that a lot because I often get asked as well, where are you from? You know, they sense a maybe tiny bit of accent, but they also can't really figure it out very well. And when I tell them I moved here when I was 18, everybody's usually very surprised. So there is definitely a level of passing with the level of, shall I say, thickness of your accent of, are you Asian American? Are you born here? Are you assimilated? Or are you someone who sounds different than me? Are you someone who's an other, right? I think there's definitely that narrative of being an immigrant and especially being an Asian immigrant in the United States. You mentioned that your sister is seven years younger than you. That's quite a bit of age gap. Do you think that transition has been a little bit different for her? I don't really think that it was that hard for her. Because for me, I was 14 when I moved. My whole life planned out while thinking that I was going to be living in the Philippines. So then I have to like change my entire outline to thinking I am going to be in a whole another country. But like for my sister, she was just starting to realize who she is. And she's just starting to become a person of her own. So I I feel like there isn't much of a wild transition for her because she still does that like here. She's still becoming her own person. But just like the location of where she's doing that has changed. But I don't know. I just I feel like it's easier for her just because she doesn't have as much of a connection to like Filipino culture, the live back in the Philippines as much as I did. She has her friends there, yeah, but she has a lot more friends here now. And she doesn't have that type of connection to the people back there as much as I did. 
talking about connection to the people back home and also the Filipino culture, then how would you identify yourself? How would you describe your identity? When I feel like forms, I just feel Asian or Filipino, just for simplicity's sake. But my great grandfather is actually a white American, so I am kind of part white, but I have no connections to him whatsoever. He left before my grandmother was even born, and she was born in the Philippines. I have no connection at all to America. Up until the day that my mom told me that we were gonna move here, I think it's hard for me to say what my identity is because I obviously identify as Filipino. That's my number one. I grew up thinking that I was just Filipino, and I think it's just gonna stay that way because it's hard for me to disassociate myself from being Filipino since I literally look like one and I'm surrounded by other people. But should I identify as white too, or like should I identify as like being? American as opposed to being Filipino because well I live here now but I don't have a citizenship so I'm technically still Filipino but at the same time I feel more American now than I am Filipino just because I've had like more defining moments of my life here than back in the Philippines. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think everybody's identity is I think more complex than what it may just seem on face value. And I think you explained it beautifully. So, talking about your experience trying to navigate your identity as both a Filipina woman and also an American person in this country, or as a high schooler attending school in the United States, regardless of citizenship, for the argument's sake, how has that experience been for you attending school in the U.S. and being a first-generation student? I feel I've been open a lot more. Issues now that I'm attending high school here because back in the Philippines, the conflicts or struggles that are present in the Philippines are not necessarily present in the United States and vice versa. So I feel with me moving here to America, I'm more exposed to all these issues that we're facing in the country, and I think that's just developed a lot more in terms of the way I think about society or about other people. And on a more educational note, and talking about first-gen experience, how does your family view education, or how does your community view education? My family stresses education so much for me and my sister. I don't remember a time in my life where they're like, "You can slack off a bit." It just does not happen. I'm not saying that the stereotype is true, but at the same time. It has its roots, and I'm not saying that people that people should stereotype Asian families, but I'm just saying it happens. <laughs> so, like for my family, there is always a stress to do good in school and to value education so much. They've put me in all these academic programs, tutoring after school. All these gifted things, and they've always told me that Steph, education is the only way you can have a good life. So you better work hard for it. And I'm always okay. I'll try my best. So then I grew up to be this type A kind of person, obsessing over her grades, and I can't stand anything under an A minus. I can't do it. <laughs> If 
But, you know, at the same time, education, it really does help. Personally, while you could have other talents that don't necessarily require you to be good at school, any kind of education is still important. And doing well in school is still like a good way to build for your future. I agree with what you said about stereotypes being stereotypes, but also having a root and a reason for them being there. And definitely Asian families have the stereotype ranging from, oh, if you get anything less than an A+, you're a failure, kind of. And there are also those memes. I don't know if you remember, but that Asian dad meme that was on the internet for a while. So I think it says a lot about how the society perceives Asian students and Asian families. And on that note, have you heard of the model minority myth? Yes, I have heard of the model minority myth. In fact, I had a speech for the last speech season that I participated in about um, racism against Asians. So very relatable. And I had a section of my piece talking about the model minority myth. Can you maybe for the audience who may not be as aware, tell us a little bit about your experience with the term or the idea behind it? Model minority myth is kind of this idea that is propagated by, just say, racist culture or white supremacy, even that Asians are like meek, subservient, that they're just good for being geniuses and being self-sufficient. And the problem with that is, even though it's nice to be stereotyped, I guess, to be like really successful, there's also this problem that you're minimizing the struggles, the political and civil struggles of many Asians. When have you first heard of that term? I have first heard of the term when I was around eighth grade, I would say. Yeah. And when you first heard it, did you relate to it or did you understand it or what was your reaction to it? Well, I didn't really understand it because back in the eighth grade, I was still in the Philippines. So this thing was just my norm. It wasn't really a big deal for me. And I thought, you know, yeah, I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, being stereotyped as being this kind of hotshot in society as opposed to other minorities is not too bad. But then when I moved here and I realized that there's so much more nuance to it, I just kind of saw like, this is really not good. It's not it. <laughs> I think the model minority myth definitely picks Asians in a certain light. And when it comes to education, I think that there definitely is an expectation for a- Asian students to perform well. On that note, do you know any other first-generation Asian or Pacific Islander students? I do not, actually, no. Do you feel like there is a reason why? I feel like the reason why that is, is because, you know, as we both talked about before, education is so important to Asian families that seeing someone who is of Asian descent and not having a degree, like, from college or at least having plans to go to college it's kind of it's kind of weird it's surprising because there's this idea that you know education is important and you should go to college so 
I feel like there's that idea. It's not common to have someone who is Asian American or Pacific Islander that is first gen because their parents are most likely part of that. They're most likely like subscribed to that idea that college is necessary and that you should do it. You bring a very interesting point, and I think that definitely is the understanding that the society at large usually has about Asian students is that. Oh, a lot of the Asian students most likely can't be first-generation students because that's not what Asians do. But then again, as you are speaking here and as I am here, there are also first-generation Asian students. So I feel like that play of model minority myth and and stereotypes about Asian students create a space where we don't maybe hear as many voices of Asian American first-generation students as my thought. Do you think that maybe there is a way that some Asian American students can work with or work around or combat the idea of model minority myth, especially first generation students? I think combating harmful stereotypes like this takes more than just the targeted minority to do it, because this is obviously systematic and. I could do everything I possibly could to be against the stereotype, but if overall society still thinks the same way, it wouldn't matter anyway. So I feel like having other、um, identities, I guess. I feel like other identities would have to be part of the whole change in order for like the myth, the stereotype, to be broken. And personally, as a first gen Asian American, I think that the best way to combat the myth itself is to just be you. I guess not feed into the expectations as an Asian. But again, the stereotype for Filipinos is that you know you're going into the healthcare field, nurses specifically. And okay, disclaimer: I am going into nursing, but not because of the model minority myth. Not because it's expected of me, but it's because I actually want to. So I think not doing that just because you're expected to, and doing whatever actually makes you feel like you would help into dispelling the stereotype. Thank you so much for sharing that, Stefan. I think you make a very good point about not letting the stereotype about you dictate the way you live your life, even though your life choices may be. Directly in line with the stereotype, or sometimes completely opposite of it. I think still we are all different individuals with our unique plans and goals and characteristics. And I think as long as you're authentic to who you are, and and also as you mentioned, try to involve other identities and communities into these discussions. Hopefully,、um, it'll be better for other Asian American first generation students to come. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed having you on the show, and thank you for sharing all your stories, ranging from your family's immigration to your personal experience through the American education system. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. You're welcome. So, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit to the audience? My name is Donna Vong. I'm currently a junior in college, and I'm attending University of Houston. Cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. I didn't know you're already a junior. Time really flies. What are you majoring in right now? I'm majoring in psychology. Oh, how do you like that? How did you, you know, get to decide on that? 
I wasn't sure what to do at first. Originally, I was thinking of maybe doing, I don't know, optometry, because I was kind of interested in it. But then my high school was giving out, like, we were allowed to take a class on psychology and sociology. And so that started making me think, oh, maybe I want to do psychology instead, because the human mind is pretty interesting. And so that's how it ended up. That's cool. And what high school did you go to? Channel View High School. It's in East Houston. Got it. And are you from Houston as well? Born and raised. Oh, so you're a true Houstonian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you're definitely a born and raised Houstonian. And that's definitely a part of your identity. Besides that, how would you define your identity? That's not really a question I think about a lot. I consider myself Asian American, obviously. And... That's probably about it. I'm like part Chinese and part Vietnam. That's interesting because I feel like people sometimes, not everybody realizes that within that Asian category, there are so many different types of Asian in there, shall I say. Um, And you being so bicultural, right? Both Vietnamese and Chinese. Did your family immigrate here? From what I've known, yeah, they immigrated over here. And I'm not sure about my mom's side, but I know from my dad's side, my aunt and my dad's, they went to school here and everything as well. So I guess then growing up, how did your family or, you know, your community view education? Education was important. Yeah, I was told my parents were luckily aren't that strict with like, you had to get all straight A's or anything. I was just told you need to get good grades. So that was just like, okay, A's and B's, I can do that. So I was like one of the lucky ones who didn't have like really strict parents when it came to grades. That's really nice because I feel like, you know, in popular media, there's so much of this narrative of like Asian parents think, oh, if you're A plus, like, and then anything else in A plus, like you're a failure, you know, they're like disgrace to the family. It's kind of scary when you think about it, but that's not my life, luckily. And I think you bring up a really good point because I think that's kind of like the limitation of a stereotype because we often think, oh, all Asian or all Asian parents must be this and that. But, you know, everybody has a different kind of experience. And in your case, it seems like education was definitely important, but it wasn't very like cutthroat, like it was A plus or nothing. Then by any chance, did you have any expectation for yourself or education related expectation for yourself or compared to your friends? I think the expectations for myself started in high school. Because like in middle school, I wasn't, I was like, yeah, let's just get good grades. I'm, I'm okay if I don't really do that well. But then high school came along and I was just, I want to do a lot better and maybe set a goal for myself for like top 10% of the class. Mainly because I had a cousin who had graduated as top 10 of her class. And I was like, okay, I kind of want to do that. And so that's the expectations I had for myself. That's good that it wasn't somebody just telling you that you need to be top 10%, but more so you just looking around and seeing, you know, your, your family or your general, you know, people around you and seeing what works for you. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a Asian American first generation college student? I think my experience is probably normal college student life. wasn't really anything special I did. Well, adjusting to college was one thing. I got, since I stayed on campus for, before the pandemic, I was on campus. So I got really nervous the first year or the first night I was on campus. And so me and my roommates were just all talking and freaking out together about college. And then I also realized I need to write down the due dates for all my assignments because they don't 
that professors don't really remind you that they have this assignment's due tonight. And so I needed to keep up with that some way. And so I started writing them down. I definitely feel like going to college is super different from, you know, going from middle school to high school or, you know, elementary school to middle school versus like high school to college. That definitely is a very different experience, I feel like. Because like for one, you pick what classes you want and where, what time you want them. So you need to keep in mind uh, what buildings are each classes are in and how much time you have to be able to get to each class, which is why I try not to take back-to-back classes. And if I do, they have to be one classes in this building and then the next class is in the building just like across the road. Yeah, definitely that's something that people when they first start college don't really think about of the travel time. But I guess ever since also COVID started, maybe it became a little bit more flexible again with some classes being on Zoom. Online classes are fine, but sometimes if I'm not if I'm not paying attention, I might end up accidentally missing a class because it's like, oh no, it's time three. And I was like, oh no, I missed a class. Then have you ever heard of the term model minority myth? earliest I could have heard it was senior year of high school because I was doing a paper for my rhetorics class and I decided to use that as a as my topic the negative impact of the model minority myth because when you hear about it it's like oh it sounds like a good thing but that puts a lot of pressure on the people it involves and when I first heard of it I was like, oh that I kind of relate to that because education and everything but best I can put is it puts a lot of pressure on people. That's definitely true. And I feel like it definitely puts pressure on people, A, and also it puts pressure on people because it's not always true. It's like a blanket stereotype that people think should apply to every Asian, but we're all very different. Like not everyone is good at school and not everyone can get good grades. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Or, you know, thinking of like, oh, but Asian math was kind of thing. And for me, math was my least favorite subject in school. (laughs) I did pretty good in math. I really liked it. The only math class I did not like was geometry. Really, for me, I liked everything until like right, like up until pre-cal, I was happy, and then calculus. Mm-mm. Oh, really? I funny enough, I struggled in math class, obviously, because learning new concepts and everything. But the second we got into calculus, for some reason, I just never stayed up late to do. <laughs> yeah, we were obviously because I was a senior when Harvey hit, so we were like rapidly going through lessons, and so we were getting homework every day. But I wasn't struggling. It wasn't a struggle at all. Then how are Asian American students usually viewed on the University of Houston campus? Houston is a diverse city, so normally if you like see an Asian person on the street, you don't think much. It's just like ah, there's a person on the street. So that's pretty much how Asian people on campus are viewed it's just like ah oh, these are our classmates or our professors or just fellow students yeah just just another person just another individual yeah it's like nothing strange about it so then I guess because you went to high school also in Houston even your high school must have been pretty diverse or being an Asian American student didn't stand out very much right well there weren't that many Asian people who went to my high school a majority were Hispanics but it wasn't really anything strange if there's like an Asian person there, it wasn't anything like out of the ordinary. I think that's really definitely the benefit of living in a city that's very diverse, like Houston. And since the pandemic started, have you maybe sensed any change in 
the way that Asian students are viewed on campus or otherwise? Not really. But to be fair, all my classes are online. So the only times I've been on campus were to like pick up textbooks. But even then, it seems pretty normal, just less students on campus. That makes sense. I think lately there has been a lot of news regarding anti-Asian hate crimes and things. Yeah, that's been stressing me out because I'm just like, every time my mom would leave the house, I'm just like, oh, be be careful. Definitely. I can relate to that. It's really anxiety-inducing and very scary. And I think in the beginning, it really started with older Asian people. And then now it's pretty much just any Asian person. Yeah, in general, it's kind of scary when you think about it. Places where you think would be safe aren't safe anymore. And you're just like, what are we supposed to do? Exactly. I'm glad that so far, though, maybe fortunately, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, you're mostly staying home and you haven't witnessed anything firsthand or had to experience. Were there any movements on campus among the different student groups or Asian American student groups regarding you know, addressing the recent anti-Asian hate crime? I don't think so, but I did, or I'm taking an Asian American studies class this semester, and my professor was talking about how he was asking our, I don't know, are they called a chancellor? Like, the head of the university. Um, he wanted her to, like, address all of that, and, like, because you know how, like, Black life, Lives Matters, people would address, schools would just, like, address it to the entire campus. He wanted something like that to be said, especially since we're such a diverse school and so he says that he was discussing that with like some of the pe- higher up people yeah i think not saying that the experience of being a black american person in this country versus being an asian american person is similar or the same in any way shape or form i'm not saying that but at the same time i can understand that maybe from some organizations or institutions i don't think we have seen as much of a response to all that has been going on lately. It's kind of sad, honestly, when you think about it, since this is a pretty, it's a nationwide deal. People everywhere, like people in New York, even though we consider New York a very progressive state, and then it happens in California as well, even though we also consider California blue. And so you're just like, wow. That is so true. The places where we think is more liberal, more open-minded, shall I say. And then technically living in a purple slash red state like Texas. Granted, a lot of the cities in Texas are still more blue-leaning, but you bring up a very good point. I didn't really quite think about it like that, but that is very true. I think that you bring up a very good point because as much as it's uncomfortable or sometimes anxiety-inducing, I think there definitely is some value of openly having some discussions about it as well. Last but not least, I was wondering if you had any tips for other um, Asian American and Pacific Islander first generations in general, or anyone who is coping with model minority myth while in college. For at least for model minority, it's not to stress about it because it's like you said, it's a blanket stereotype. So not everyone will technically fit it. And if you think about it as well, like, yeah, there's people who are going to be good at math, good in school, but well, one thing, school doesn't really define what kind of job you're going to get. And then if you also think about, you know, like those personality tests that people take online. Yeah, those are also pretty much like blanket terms. You don't fit all those personalities that they give you at the end result. So if you think about it that way, you just like, don't stress about it. It's okay. Wow, that was a really good analogy about that personality type test, like MBTI or whatever. And people are like, oh, I should be one of the 16 ones and I should perfectly fit it. But it 
doesn't work like that. Yeah, I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, wait, that's a good analogy. I remember talking about that in psychology. Well, look at you bringing, you know, your academic background and your experiences in the Asian American student all together. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Donna. And we really, really appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you. I'm not as nervous now, so that's a good thing as well. Hey, Casey, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. First of all, can you share a little bit about yourself to the audience? Sure. So my name is Casey Quinn. I am a Vietnamese American. I was born and raised in a suburb just outside of Chicago in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. My family was like the only Asians around town for the most part. And I went to the University of Pennsylvania for college. I majored in English and I double minored in Asian American studies and cinema and media studies. Wow, I didn't know that you majored in English and also double minored. I don't think it's the most common thing to do double minoring. So that's very cool. It's interesting to hear that you minored in Asian American studies since this episode is in celebration of the Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and also considering the current political climate with a lot of different things going on regarding hate crimes and different racial communities. Yeah, that's why I was excited to maybe speak on this episode and kind of volunteered to do it. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to talk on a topic that might be a little sensitive for some people. But let's start off with something easy. So how would you currently describe your own identity? When I introduce myself to people, I would say that I'm Vietnamese American. I think growing up, I used to just say, oh, I'm Asian. But that's because, again, like I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. So it's not like they really differentiated or if they did they would just assume I'm Chinese and going to college and taking Asian American studies classes that's when I kind of learned about the political aspect of what it means to be Asian American and so I had to like come to terms with how my Vietnamese American identity is different from my Asian American identity and I actually don't like saying I am Asian American because identify as Asian American in like a political solidarity type way um, because I feel like saying Asian American has a lot of different ethnic communities underneath it and I don't like making it a monolith and kind of putting us all under one broad term when we're all so different. You mentioned that you used to say you're Asian American because you grew up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. What was that experience like? Since my family was like the only Asian American family for the most part in my school district growing up I would always get asked what are you and I would only really say Asian because I didn't feel the need to specify being Vietnamese unless they said explicitly like oh are you Chinese then I would correct them but in a general sense I would just say that I was Asian and I don't think I was bullied necessarily growing up like there were definitely some microaggressions that I experienced but at the time like I didn't even know what a micro aggression was until I went to college unfortunately so yeah there was just like minor things here and there where I kind of brushed off what was being said to me but I don't think it was ever extremely problematic and for the audience who doesn't know what microaggression is, would you mind explaining a little bit? I would say a microaggression is when someone kind of says like an offhand comment that isn't like explicitly racist, but it's a little bit racist. 
Thank you for sharing that. I feel like a lot of people can relate because if you have a little bit of that question of is this racist, but you're not 100% sure, I feel like a lot of those incidences can be explained as microaggression. Granted, this may not be the most dictionary definition of it. An example that comes to mind when I was in middle school during like music class, it was like the first day of class and my name is kind of spelled uniquely. So they didn't know how to pronounce it. And I think the teacher had t- asked me, oh, how is your name pronounced? And I just said Casey. And then she paused and then said, how is it pronounced in your culture? And it's like, my name doesn't even derive from like a Vietnamese language. So it was just like, was that necessary? You also said a little bit about your experience of going from predominantly Hispanic environment until middle school, high school, I assume, and then going to college and learning more about different Asian identities and starting to call yourself as Vietnamese American and talking about how the term Asian can be a little bit of creating a monolithic stereotype. Can you tell us a little bit about how that experience was for you regarding your identity? So going to college was interesting because it was kind of a culture shock, I guess, to be exposed to so many other races, especially other Asian Americans. I feel like a lot of my cousins grew up in a community that had more Asian Americans. And so like most of their friends were Asian and I could never relate. Like I wasn't aware of the different experiences that Asian Americans have. So this is a slightly embarrassing tidbit to mention, but growing up since the only Asians that I was like around was my own family. I legit thought that all Asian Americans had my family's experiences. So I thought anyone who is around my age, like their parents also immigrated from America by boat and were refugees. I didn't realize that other people came just to get like an education, like willingly. And also I am like a first generation low income student. So I also thought that all Asian Americans grew up poor. So going to Penn was a huge change for me because that definitely wasn't the case. And I think my classes in Asian American studies really helped me learn history, put everything into perspective, and then also connect with other Asian Americans with different backgrounds and contextualizing what I learned in class with their life. I can relate a lot to your experience. And it is interesting you say that you thought that that was how a lot of other Asian Americans around your age would have experienced race or living in the U.S. in general, or even the immigration narrative. Because for me, for example, I moved here when I was 18. And until I moved here, I never considered myself Asian because back home, a lot of people look like me. I would say about 95 plus percent of people look like me. So I never had that realization of, myself being Asian or even Korean because when you are a part of the majority, you never really have to think about your identity too much and and you have that privilege of not knowing. And then when I moved here was that almost a bit of a rude awakening that I am Asian and also I am Korean because a lot of times there's that, oh, you're Chinese moments (laughs) as well. So thank you for sharing that. So talking about how you thought a lot of Asian Americans are similarly first generation or low income and then going to college and learning that, oh, there are a lot of Asian people who come from various kinds of backgrounds and experiences. What was that like for you being a first gen in that environment? 
It could be a little awkward. I would say generally people don't really like talking about their financial background or their economic background. And I think I had to become comfortable with being able to openly talk about differences in backgrounds, especially with my friends. For example, I had two roommates that are East Asian and their backgrounds are very different from mine. And so through nothing was ever explicitly talked about until maybe like later on in our friendship, like in junior and senior year. But there are things that would come up in everyday conversation where the background differences were clear. And I think one of the most awkward parts for me was during, again, one of my Asian American studies classes was Asian American activism. And there were speakers that came in every other class period. And one person asked us to like be in, one person asked us to do like breakout groups and discuss a list of questions that had to do with our work ethic and where we get that work ethic from and like basically talking about our parents and I was in a group with three other people who are my friends and half of us were from a lower economic background and the other half was higher and it was just awkward the way that after we did the breakout discussion and then kind of came back together as a whole to discuss what we talked about that the speaker was saying like oh regardless of your economic background like your work ethic is kind of the same in that smaller breakout group I just felt uncomfortable when it was kind of clear our parents lives were very different it's interesting because to an extent there definitely is that expectation of that monolithic Asian experience that you are all East Asian which we're not I mean I am but not not all of us are or not all of us come here by choice or not all of us are well-educated or not all of us are working in high-paying jobs. And I think that is something that is often not discussed. I came here when I was like 18, when I became a woman of color. A lot of people expect East Asian international students in college to be like well-off and all that. And like my parents are first-generation college students in Korea. So neither of their parents went to college actually. My paternal grandfather maybe graduated from elementary school and like for my maternal grandfather i know for sure he didn't finish elementary school or like barely did and so there's that like intergenerational trauma and i didn't grow up like wealthy or anything and my dad definitely didn't so he had that i didn't grow up having to worry about having food on the table or having like necessities per se but definitely also we weren't comfortably living lavishly and finance was a concern but for my dad because his dad passed away when he was in high school. A lot of these were a concern growing up. So I inherited a lot of that too. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like that stereotype that all Asian people are East Asian and all well-educated and all well-off and has this XYZ experience is very frustrating. A little related to what we just talked about then, did you meet any other Asian American Pacific Islander first-generation students in college? Yeah, so I was a part of several different groups. I was only part of one cultural organization, which was the Penn Vietnamese Students Association. And my roommates were part of the 
10 Taiwanese society. So I would go to some events just to support them. But for the most part, I was only part of Pen VSA. And even within our group, it wasn't like exclusive to Vietnamese Americans. Anyone could join. So there were a lot of Chinese Americans in our group too. And regarding the first gen students, I was also in Crossbridge Scholars and then Pen First Plus, which is a group that's for first generation low income students specifically. So I I met some other Asian American first gen students through that too. Now, continuing the conversation a little bit about education, how does your family or your community view education? Both of my parents never finished college. I think my dad went, but then had to drop out because of the English language barrier. But I think because they never completed college, that they value education for their daughters. I have two older sisters. So yeah, growing up, education was very emphasized in our household. Me and my parents, I would say we didn't really have a talking relationship. They only really ever asked if I had, if I was doing well in school. I think there definitely is a very common theme of in almost any Asian family or, or communities that education is considered very important. Then have you heard of the term model minority myth? I did in college. I think that kind of ties back into my previous belief of like all Asian Americans having the same experience as myself. So I would say growing up, the stereotype was, oh, Asians are smart. Asians are good at math. Asians work hard and are quiet. And I would say I only related to the like academic part. I was like known as the smartest person in my class in like elementary school, middle school, high school, but I wouldn't say that I was quiet. I often got in trouble actually. So I don't know if that applies. I know like my older sisters were more quiet than I was, but I don't know if that's because like my oldest sister, since she's the oldest, she had like that expectation. And since I'm the youngest, I can just do whatever I want. <laughs> there are definitely some perks of not being the oldest. I, that's for sure. <laughs> I would say as an oldest myself. I think the model minority myth and definitely what you said earlier about understanding that it's not a monolithic experience for the entire Asian community and also celebrating each individual groups or, or individual person's diverse experiences, I think is very important, especially with the current political climate and everything else that is going on in the world. On that note, do you have any tips or advice or words of wisdom for other AAPI first-generation students? I guess from personal experience, I would say if you're growing up in a community that doesn't really have other Asian American faces like your own, you shouldn't wait until college to explore your racial identity. Like, take the time to learn Asian American history, ask your parents questions about themselves, learn your family history. I didn't do that until I took an Asian American history class and one of my papers had to do with interviewing an immigrant and then contextualizing their 
their life story within the history that we learned. And so I interviewed my dad about that and learned a bunch of things about his immigration journey that I never even thought of really until I got older because kids are in their heads and kind of selfish and self-absorbed and don't think about their parents as people. <laughs> like I think everyone... Once they grow up, they realize, oh, my parents have thoughts. They had a life before I was born. So it's really important to, to ask your parents questions about things like that. Thank you so much for the advice. I think that will resonate a lot with first-generation students who are you know, post-college days or in, in school or in high school as well. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today and really being vulnerable and sharing the stories that you may not feel the most comfortable sharing so openly on a podcast. Yeah, I think it's easier for me to be vulnerable because I'm kind of talking into a void and it's not like everyone who listens I'm going to meet. So as long as my story can help listeners, then yeah, thanks for having me. In this episode, we talked about the model minority myth and the experiences of AAPI first-generation students. As Steph, Donna, and Casey have mentioned, model minority myth can shape the experiences of many AAPI students, first-gen or otherwise. As we celebrate the AAPI Heritage Month, I'd like to invite you all to think about the individual experiences behind the often-assumed inherent success of the AAPI community. As we heard from our three guest stories, stereotypes do not define someone's identity, regardless of if you fit in the mold of the expectation or not. Also, if you're an AAPI first-gen student, I hope this episode was able to provide you with a sense of community. Contrary to what others might think or even what you might believe in, there are more of us out there than you think. Thanks again to our speakers, and thank you for tuning in today on How to College First-Gen. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org, if you have any questions or feedback as you want to hear what you think, what you're struggling with, and how we can help. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at How to College First Gen on Instagram and Facebook and HTC First Gen on Twitter. Remember, you're not alone in this journey. Until next time. <music>